When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Seminole Rap Podcast. It's here. It's the first day of June. Happy June. That's my Andrew Luck impression. Uh, it's, as, it's as good as it's going to get. It's all I've got. Uh, Brian Peller in here with John Marchand, as always. Uh, we missed, uh, I guess, what was Max's last episode last time. He's he's off to cover basketball overseas. Congratulations to him and good luck uh, over there in Europe. So uh, in Max's stead, we bring in uh, some some new blood. We've got Ben. And Ben, I probably should ask you before we started, last name Meyerson? Hey, you nailed it. That's perfect. Nailed it. Look at that. See, that's professional. So uh, Ben Meyerson, go ahead. I'll let you sell yourself to the crowd, man. How's it going? Uh, It's going great. Um, You know, like you said, June 1st. So it's kind of that part of the off season where, you know, we're just talking a lot about uh, what's going to happen instead of what's actually happening. Um, But no, so I've I've been covering this team um, for the past three seasons. Um, You know, I've been with Tomahawk Nation for the last year and a half. Before that, you know, I was at a student newspaper for a little while. So um, I got to cover this team up close and personal right at the beginning of the Mike Norvell era. Um, and I got to witness some interesting games as well as um, I actually so so my uh, my parents are both Seminoles as well. And my dad and I actually went to Willie Taggart's first game. That's one of the first games we had been into in a while that that terrible, awful game in Doak in September um, or was it August um, right around there. But um, so. I think it's been uh, interesting to get that full perspective of that first game of the Willie Taggart era to where this team is now. Um, You know, in terms of players that you're going to hear me talk a lot about, uh, you know, I don't I don't think it's a secret that Jordan Travis pretty, pretty darn good at football. Um, And and I think he's a fantastic player. And, you know, I would put myself in the fan club, you know, even though, you know, whatever, we're supposed (laughs) to be unbiased or whatever. I, I'm not a fan of this team whatsoever. I'm a fan of Jordan Travis. I'm a fan of watching him play football. And I got the, the pleasure of watching him last training camp um, before then as well in some practices in that t- 2022 did you, season. Did you hear um, that, John? Did you hear that, John? He it was was that his journalism bona fides? His I'm not a fan <laughs> of this team. Yeah. <laughs> John, John tapes his podcast with the Florida State hat on 95% of the time. So I wouldn't be too shamed yeah. about it. Uh, we, we're going to talk plenty of Jordan Travis. You're, you're, you're the leader of the fan club. And I think we might've found another leader of his fan club, uh, coming up as our guest on this show. We think you guys will like it a lot. Ben, you were sold to me as an analytics guy. Uh, you're very into analytics, right? Well, I guess kind of what kind of approach is that? And, uh, just kind of what, what you might bring to the table there. Well, you know, I, and I can hear it in your voice, you know, you're judging me already for being, <laughs> um, but no, um, you know, I, here, here's the thing with, with analytics. And, and I think for anyone out there who might be a little bit of a pessimist towards it is, is analytics are a tool. It's, it's a tool we use that to, to quantify what we're already seeing on the field. Right. So I think for me, I use analytics as, you know, what am I seeing? What is the eye test telling me when I watch the film? You know, what patterns am I seeing? You know, what are these teams and players good at? What situations do they do well in? And do the numbers back that up? And if they do, why? If not, you know, why don't they? So I perfect combination of, 
you know, it's it's about marrying the eye test with what you're seeing. Um, so I think Trey Benson is the perfect example of that. So he broke PFF's record um, for the stat that they have called missed tackles forced um, rate. So that's, you know, for, for how many carries you have, how often are you forcing a missed tackle? You know, on 51% of his carries, he was forcing a missed tackle. And the next leading guy to do that in the last 10 years of PFF's history was Javante Williams, who went and had an incredible season at the NFL level. And he was at 47%. And the next guy, you know, down that list was 43%. So, you know, I, I think it's, the analytics are, I, I understand why some people are hesitant towards them, want to say, you know, what is this? Why is this important? It, it's really just more about saying, you know, I see Trey Benson. He's a baller. He makes guys miss left and left, right, center. Um, you know, um, when Ryan comes on, he's going to talk all about the all the different crazy things that Trey can can do. But, you know, so I, I think it's really just that it's it's finding, you know, what am I seeing and, and and how do the numbers tell the bigger story of this and, and complement it? Not, not, you know, cause I think some people take analytics and they want to tell the entire story with it. That's, that's just not, that's not the right way to do football. And that's not how I like to do football. The two things that, that those of you at home may be wondering, number one, um, the numbers guy, yes, he is wearing glasses. He is exactly as nerdy as you would anticipate he would look. Uh, and number two, you know, Max, as was noted is a heat fan. Um, we went out and got another one. And as I believe Udonis Haslam last week called analytics acylytics, I believe was his exact. So um, I guess Ben is Ben is a counter on his own point. But uh, welcome aboard, Ben. Excited to have you and, and bring that extra analytical side, especially as we get into the games and understanding kind of where things go. And as we start here, just, you know, because because I'm, I'm also the host of the Seminole Softball Rap podcast where you can catch that with uh, Brian Peller and Glenn Rhodes coming at you. Uh, that was just a two-run home run in the Women's College World Series, in case you were wondering when we're recording this. Uh, it just happened right now as it happened. But we go ahead and bring in our guest now, Brian Fowler, NFL draft and college football expert for the Draft Network. He's got some uh, scouting credentials as an analyst with the Washington Commanders, lots of other stuff beyond that with the Commanders. Uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us, man. I know I've been trying to connect with you for a while, but we're glad we can kind of get this together. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, Ryan, so you you cover a little bit of everything, uh, college football, NFL, and, and you caught my eye a couple of times with tweets, mostly about Jordan Travis, and, and I want to get there, but the one that, that most recently jumped out to me was uh, you tweeted, Florida State is absolutely loaded, uh, which hard to argue with. You mentioned Jordan Travis, Trey Benson, Johnny Wilson, names Florida State fans are familiar with. Uh, the two ones that I want to go on to first are the two new guys, the transfers, Keon Coleman and Jaheim Bell, I guess. What do they bring to the table? What have you seen, I guess, from their other tape? Yeah, first things first with Jaheim. Uh, he's the one that stands out to me most. Just specifically, we're in 2023, and the tight end position has changed so much. You look at the NFL as well, and you just have to have matchup nightmares. And you look at Florida State, a team right now that's going to be you know, protected, potentially to be in the CFP, top of the ACC, who knows, as we move forward towards New Year's. But just look at him forcing matchup nightmares for defenses and defenses to where linebackers, safeties, you're going to force other potential corners on the field. He's big. He's strong. He has the flexibility in his hips to run routes. He can block for you. He can play the Y. He can play the F. It just creates so many different matchups, whatever type of personnel grouping that Mike Norvell wants to live in. And then Keon Coleman, another big body. Obviously, you guys have heard, obviously, his background in basketball, ability to high point the football, box out corners. But I watch his ability to actually run routes and separate it against corners at Michigan State inside the Big Ten. And I think that's going to translate extremely well to a Florida State offense 
to where there are other weapons around him. There are the Johnny Wilsons. There are the Trey Bensons of the world that Jordan Travis can hand the ball to 20 plus times a game and defenses have to counter his legs as well. So those two specifically, two athletes, two flat out ball players are going to be highly touted in their draft years. I'm really excited to see them this year in Tallahassee. The way Mike Norvell runs this offense, it's it's put a lot, I don't want to say on the shoulders of Jordan Travis, but it's put a lot in the, I guess, how's the better way to say this? It, it's putting him in position to succeed. And obviously those transfers help. Um, you was about six months ago that I think was where I first noticed your stuff was Jordan Travis forcing the NFL draft world to take notice. Obviously that was even before this past draft. What did you see in Jordan that that is capturing attention there? Yeah, I have an appreciation for guys that make the game look easy. Ryan, I really do. And I think when you watch Jordan Travis, it's funny. Some people in the scouting community even now will say, he's not the biggest guy in the world. So I have some concerns there. The guy is 6'1", 210 plus pounds. It's like 6'1 has turned into this 5'3", 5'4", somehow, since Bryce Young has obviously drew attention these past couple of years in the two is of the world. But you watch Jordan play the game. And I just, I love his ability to sit inside the pocket and dissect the defense with his eyes, winning between his ears before he ever wins with his arm or with his legs. And then if things do go chaotic around him where he does have face uh, arms or faces inside that tackle box where he can escape and not just escape or where he just tucks and runs, but keep his eyes upfield to target these weapons that I mentioned earlier and then create if he has to with his legs. He's not going to be some overpowering physical runner like a KJ Jefferson from an Arkansas or what we saw from even Jalen Hurts coming out of college or Anthony Richardson really at Florida, but he is just someone that does so many different things well that fit what NFL offenses want to do. That's why Jordan Travis has really drawn my attention to where he does slow down the game and makes it look so easy, especially pre-snap, and understand what he's looking at. Again, winning between the ears before he ever tries to win with his arm or his legs. Yeah, and and I I think those are some great points about Jordan. I mean, we've certainly seen how he's developed into this player that that he's become. From, From your perspective, you know, obviously over here, you know, we're watching Jordan Travis every single year. We've seen him every single year, every single game. But, you know, when you have a kid like that who comes in, who was so raw at the beginning of his collegiate career, who really developed into the player he's become and has developed every single year, seems like he's a guy that's getting better every single time he touches the ball. How much do teams value that in, in these quarterbacks that they're evaluating when when they see a guy with that kind of linear progression? Yeah, absolutely. And with transfers too, you know, he came over from Louisville. I know Florida state is absolutely loaded on either side of the ball with transfers. That's really what kind of the college game has come to now with NIL and the transfer portal, but it's big in the scouting process. Can a guy consistently improve? And I think looking back to this year and what will really help Jordan in this process is looking at Hendon Hooker going from Virginia tech to where guys at times in the ACC, you guys are ACC guys at times he looked unplayable down there in Blacksburg, and then goes to the SEC and lights it up at Tennessee in an offense to where we will see how he produces. But for Jordan going from Louisville to Florida State, staying inside the ACC and the ability of him to consistently improve, especially inside the pocket, because we get so obsessed with guys that can create with their legs nowadays, it means a ton to scouts because it shows me not a guy that just can lead in the locker room, but lead within the hashes and a guy that also takes the time to perfect his craft because I don't care if you're a Bryce Young in the first overall pick or you're a Stetson Bennett that goes on day three after winning two national titles in back-to-back years, you have to be a guy that's consistently improving in your game and be developed and coached. And I think that that's what Jordan Travis does extremely well. Uh, so, Ryan, I'm leading into that then. Um, I, what do you think in your, in your 
opinion uh, that maybe Travis would need to work on the most? I, I know you had talked before in some of your articles that maybe Travis's size could hurt him at the next level. What other thing do you think that is within his control that he could work on? Yeah, I think it's a little bit more for me. I'm a big mechanics guy. Um, I was a baseball player in my career, so I'm big with mechanics and getting as much juice and velocity and, and arm talent that we always talk about out of these guys' frames. I think there is some more juice in Jordan Travis's game to where he can consistently pump throws into more condensed windows outside the numbers, deeper thirds of the field. So where that will increase his draft stock because of that arm talent. I don't think he's a guy that has a, a Josh Allen or a, a Joe Burrow right. or a Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not going to mention him in those categories, but as far as someone that can throw into con condensed windows, tighter windows that we know are going to shrink from the college game to the NFL game, because I do think guys that he throws with a great deal of anticipation as well, which helps understand what he's looking at pre-snap again. But those are just little things mechanically are really the main concerns for me with Jordan. You got a, a ton of stuff there that all sounds great. Obviously the mechanics still something to work on. One thing I wanted to notice, it, it sounds like if I'm a Florida state fan, I'm thinking, wow, I've got, I've got this great quarterback, but I'm looking at your 2024. These obviously these are draft rankings, not like college football rankings. Uh, you have Jordan seventh, and, and that's behind J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, Quinn Ewers, Drake May, and Caleb Williams, which obviously is no surprise, I think, with Caleb and Drake. Um, what do you like more from those guys? Is that NFL-type stuff that you're seeing more there? Um, obviously, I think Caleb and Drake are the two that we continue to bring up on the show kind of as the, the two leaders in the clubhouse. But I guess what keeps Jordan at seven versus where these other guys kind of spring up ahead of him? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think I, I remember doing that article in Kansas City right after the draft ended. And I remember talking to myself specifically with Jordan and Michael Penix and JJ McCarthy specifically, kind of in that same bucket for me. So there really wasn't much separation because for me, guys, I'm not just saying this because I'm on a Florida State podcast. I really think the ceiling is untapped for Jordan Travis. I really do. But when looking at those guys at the top, I think you look at Michael and his ability to sit in a pack 12 quarterbacks, right? To sit back, big arm, lefty, southpaw, just targeting guys like Jalen McMillan and Romeo uh, Odun's down over there in Washington and the bodies that he has along that front five that will help him stay upright. Just the projectability standpoint right away. It's just smaller things I think that those guys have to work on to project to the next level and also taking some resources from my NFL contacts as well, throwing into those rankings. But again, as I said, Penix, McCarthy, uh, Ewers has a lot to prove at Texas. I'm not going to sit here and say Quinn Ewers is going to be first round pick. Absolutely. hundred percent right away. Absolutely not. Because I think the kid Malik Murphy should be pushing him every single day at practice. And I know Arch Manning is there as well, but those guys are really tight for me early in these rankings. As I know, we sit here in June 1st. Yeah. And, and no, that's a great point. You know, it's, it's June 1st right now, obviously a lot's going to change in between now and next April when the NFL draft rolls around. Um, but for you with, with Jordan, when when you're watching him operate in this offense, working with Mike Norvell, um, what do you think his transition from the college game to the pro game is going to be like? You know, it seems like now more than ever, you know, it's getting closer and closer by the year versus, you know, talking about an FSU guy eight years ago, Jameis Winston, all the talk about him is the pro style quarterback, pro style quarterback. Now, you know, you mentioned Jalen Hurts, um, a lot of recent guys who don't fit that conventional mold or don't fit that conventional offense coming out of college. What do you think you're seeing from him right now at FSU and maybe even this upcoming year that, that he can take to the league? And then what do you think he needs to, to learn to take it to that next level? Yeah, I think I mentioned it a little earlier as far as understanding what he's looking at pre-snap and then what understanding what defenses are rolling to from a corner's perspective and safety's perspective. Are they showing man indicators? Are they showing zone indicators? 
who do I have? Here's my hot reads. If, if they're sending extra blitzers, I got a free runner in my face. Where can I escape? Those are different things that I've seen from Jordan right away. And it's just so tough with quarterbacks because it, this evaluation process for me with Will Levis, I know Will was talked about as this Herculean figure, the whole process. But for me, I was, I was unimpressed the whole entire process from with him, just because of, I try to break down the individual and spotlight the individual away from scheme. And I'm seeing what Jordan does at Florida state where he reads the entire field. I really love his mechanics, especially fellas. If you notice when he drops back, he does a little bit, a lot with what, I mean, me being a Washington guy with Sam Howell to where he'll keep his left hip open to where that left shoulder is not closed to where he can only see the middle or right side of the field. He actually keeps that left hip open at times, especially on long third down and distances to access the entire field to where he's not just a half field reader, or if this one read isn't here, I'm keeping my eyes down and I'm tucking and running. So those are little things with Jordan Travis's game and the quarterbacks as a whole to where I think that'll improve to the next level. But then again, the little things, as I mentioned, as far as just mechanics, footwork at times can get a little lazy to where he knows a Johnny Wilson, a Jaheen Bell, or Keon Coleman may separate on the outside to where his feet get a little static in the pocket. Just continuing to, again, very small things. It's, they're they're very they're not big things. I'm not talking about touch. I'm not talking about anticipation, pocket awareness. He has all those things. It's very little things in his game to where he starts to improve upon the little things moving into this year. I mentioned it. I just I can't say it enough. I'm really excited to see Jordan play this year. Yeah, we are too, man. And. Because the whole team really revolves around him, right? The offense revolves around him. I think we expect the Florida State's offense, uh, at least some of us do, top five, top ten, something like that in the country. But for me personally, one thing I really super excited to ask you about is Florida State's edge rushers, Jared Verse, and then maybe on the other side, Patrick Payton, who I think um, has has flashed a little bit, although he's still a younger player. What really kind of um, uh, pops out about Jared Verse to you? He's a grown man. Off the edge. <laughs> Bottom line, he's a grown man. And he's a little different yeah. than because Peyton's about what, 240, 245. Right. Jared, I mean, Jared coming from Albany. I mean, name me the last guy from Albany that's made buzz. I can't name you one. They got a cool logo in the, in the Great Danes or whatever they are. But Jared just has become one of the most dominant defensive, really defensive linemen. I don't care if you play him at the five, you can bump him into four eye, hand in the dirt, standing up. He's a grown man. Now, there are some concerns within the scouting community as far as his ability to set the edge on the run. But guys, the name of the game is getting after the passer. And there may not be a guy in this class, maybe JT Tuomalau from Ohio State that can threaten him right away as far as that premier edge threat, win inside, win outside, win with power, win with speed. Jared Verse is just so well-refined. And I think the one thing for me when I look at Jared and what separates him in this class to where I do think he could be a guy to one of the most dominant, really, First year of his career, potentially be a seven, eight sack guy a year at the NFL is how detailed his pass rush approach is to where every single snap, it looks like he studies the offensive tackle that he's facing. Now, I know he's not going against NFL linemen every single week. Wake Forest or Virginia Tech or Virginia don't have studs every year at offensive tackle, but everything is nuanced with his game. He has a plan for everything that he's doing. And that's what separates the guys that are good athletes and good football players, because not all athletes are good football players. And when you mesh the two, that's when you get Jared Verse, and that's why he's going to be a first-round pick next year. Were you surprised he came back? Uh, no, I'm not. I don't know the NIL money, but I'm sure he's going to play down there in Tallahassee. So I'm, I don't. I'm not going to complain there. Uh, Florida State had, you know, more than just Jared coming back. They had quite a few guys come back who, who raised some eyebrows. I, I know one guy for me that, you know, 
I think he'll be a Sunday player at some point, but certainly, you know, it was certainly up in the air this offseason. Trey Benson, a guy who really came on at the end of the season, November is really when he was hitting that stride. I mean, you know, to me, he looks like an NFL running back in those moments. Um, you know, what do you like about Trey when you personally watch him? Um, and then maybe, you know, when you think NFL teams are evaluating him, they're looking at him, you know, what are they going to like about him? How, how would they see him fitting into the NFL, you know, depending on what system it might be? Yeah. Sign me up for some Trey Benson all day long, baby. I love <laughs> me some Trey Benson. He, uh, not many guys that are 210 plus pounds that can have four, three track speed. Um, and it's not, it doesn't take long for him to work up to that speed. And I think that's what separates him. He can work inside and gap. He can scoot to the outside and, and a you can unique ability, excuse me, to run through guys, run around you and could go over you if need be. And 215 plus pounds at just the foot turnover in, in those tight confines. You have a linebacker in space. He can make one guy miss the safety comes up, takes a wrong angle on him. And he's out the back door and he's gone. You're a defender. You consistently have to take correct pursuit angles against Trey Benson, or you're going to end up on film and you're going to be on someone's TikTok getting embarrassed. That's what happens with Trey Benson. <laughs> I love his game. You can hand it off to him 20, 25 or more times. That may be a concern for some teams as far as the tread on the tires coming into the NFL game. But guys, I, I cannot say, I know I talked highly about Jordan Travis, Trey Benson looking into his game, but unique blend of size, speed and explosiveness. It's very unique to the college game. And uh, for me, I have a day two grade on him right now before the college, there's for the college season. I really like his game. He's definitely going to be a potential bell cow at the next level. So do you think he could eventually uh, sneak into the first round if everything goes right for him? Or do you think, you know, because of that tread and maybe some of his injury history a little bit, there might be a little bit of pause. Yeah, I think there may be a little bit of pause there. For me, again, I don't see him scooting into the first round. I mean, last year, right, we saw Jameer Gibbs and Bijan. I don't think he's there just yet. Right. Again, we're in June. We'll see what we'll see what it comes out this year and rushes for shoot 1400 yards or something, 20 touchdowns. And we have a different conversation. Um, but right now he's a day two guy for me. So we, we talked about the, the, the parts, I guess, collectively, we mentioned versus a, as a first round guy on the defense. Um, I guess first offensively, what is this team ceiling? What, what do you think that you, I saw you listed them in one of your articles again on the draft network. You can see all of his great work. Um, you mentioned them as a sneaky team for the season. I guess what, how can you handle these many weapons on offense if you're against them? And, and I guess what is the ceiling for this? Offense? I think it's absolutely in the stratosphere. I really do. There's just weapons everywhere. And with the biggest thing about that is you want to key in on a key on Coleman. Well, we got Johnny Wilson. You want to key in on Johnny or there's Jaheim Bell. And I just mentioned Trey Benson. And then if you want to run some RPOs and allow Jordan to create outside of structure, QB powers, QB sweeps, QB draws, so many unique things that you can do. I mean, I'm interested to see this right side of the offensive line with a couple of transfers, the kid from Colorado and the tackle at UTEP that's got actually a little bit of buzz from the NFL. Byers, I believe, right, is, is his last name, the kid from UTEP coming in. Uh, he has a little bit of, of buzz as well. But this offense, the ceiling, if everything comes together, I firmly believe it could be the best offense in the ACC and one of the best offenses in college football. I know it's on paper. Now it's time to execute as we work into camp in the first few games of the year. Big matchup, obviously, against LSU at the beginning of the season. But this, this strat, the stratosphere is really just the limit for, for this offense. I think it's immense, and I would not be shocked if they, they blow out teams consistently by 25-30 if everything comes to fruition. They have studs everywhere. 
So Ryan, that's that's another thing I actually I, I guess I want to ask you about because I know with this most recent draft class uh from Florida State, I think Jamie Robinson was FSU's highest rated pick in the fifth round, right? I know two years ago in 2020, this really wasn't that much of a talented team. And Mike Norvell has used the transfer portal to, to great effect to kind of flip this roster. So how much talent overall um do you think this team has now going into the 2023 season? A lot of talent. I mean, I didn't even talk about Fabian Lovett. I didn't talk about Fentrell Cypress coming over from Virginia. There's a lot of talent on this team. And I know we talked a lot about Jared Verse, and you got a guy like that on the edge. These teams are going to have to game plan against him every single game. But at the end of the day, fellas, most points wins. And that starts on offense. I know the defense can help getting the ball back for you, maybe take it back on a pick six or a return. But most points wins. And this offense, again, everything comes to fruition. That That's just why if I'm a Florida State fan, I'm just so excited to see this team execute. Bottom line, they have to execute. And again, just it comes to fruition. Everything's just, I, I would not be shocked this team potentially. They blow out everybody that they may could, or in the ACC, they go and dominate a Clemson. They take care of a North Carolina. I know Drake May is the main piece there, and they're not expected to do too much. But, and you know that the teams from the SEC are always going to get attention. But I'm, I'm not going to go and say they're going to make it to the CFP, but their offense absolutely has the potential to be one of the premier in all of college football. And there's no doubt in my mind that they will be this year. All right. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to go too long with you. So I'll, I'll call this one uh, as maybe one of the last here in case, make sure the guys, any, any follow-ups <laughs> on it. But one thing we've wrestled around here is bigger test, I guess, for Florida state. Uh, and I didn't ask you about this one in advance. So apologies for springing it on you, but um, you mentioned LSU already. Clemson's another one on the schedule that comes up. Um, I, I guess maybe Miami or Florida, if you really wanted to go there, but it really feels like the two games on their schedule that could be a, a contest is Clemson and LSU. Is there one that jumps out to you as, you know, every seems, everyone seems to love the talent of LSU. Everyone seems to be expecting the Clemson fall off, but it still doesn't come. Is there a roster or a, one of those two teams that stands out more to you? Yeah. LSU. Absolutely. We know some, you can talk to people from the boot. I have a colleague of mine that's from the boot. He'll tell you that they got the best athletes in the world. Keon Coleman, for example, is from Louisiana. They got some different athletes down there, different type of football where those guys get it from the mud and they're just all ball 24 seven. They and, and if Florida state is able to take care of them early in the season, it 100% puts not just the sec on notice, the college football playoff committee on notice, but the entire nation, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, where a lot of these teams are having turnover, obviously, because their quarterbacks are gone. They may have some some chaos there as far as who actually is going to be the guy because it's Alabama right now, who's going to be the starter? Georgia? Is it Carson Beck? Is it Brock Vandegrift? Who knows? So at this point, I look at these rosters, LSU absolutely with Jaden Daniels obviously coming back. That, that really stands out for me as far as the biggest test for Florida State this year. Well, uh, no, I, I think that LSU game is just going to be a fantastic display of talent. It's just, I mean, that, that football game was so much fun last year. I imagine that, you know, this year in Orlando, it's going to be a blast as well. Um, I wanted to ask you is, is one of the last questions or this is going to be my last one. You know, you mentioned Jaheim Bell earlier. We talked about Trey Benson. You mentioned Jordan, of course, quite a bit. Um, these receivers though, these two receivers in particular, Keon Coleman, J Johnny Wilson, um, two pretty unique guys, Johnny Wilson, kind of, you know, like a, a Madden character, almost a guy that, you know, a, a, a little kid would draw up in Madden and say, I want a six, seven receiver who's 235 and can run like a gazelle. And then, you know, you have Keon Coleman on the other hand, who is a little more polished is, you know, all the highlights of him are, are, I mean, he looks like a basketball player playing football. He's dunking on guys over and over, you know, what do you like about these guys at, at this level? But then, you know, to me, 
I think when the NFL is looking at, at receivers, of course, they want the polished guys. And I think if you look at this past draft, you know, size wasn't necessarily the big thing. But when you have two guys who are that big, who can run like that, who can do the things they can do, they're going to get a lot of eyeballs. What do you think teams and evaluators are going to like about those two guys? And, you know, do you think there's one in particular that that is going to trend more towards the NFL liking them? Um, just where are you at with them? Yeah, I'm interested to see how Keon progresses in this offense and how he feels being the wide receiver too. I know Jaden Reed was at Michigan State last year, but Johnny for me is the one, and, and with evaluators I've spoken to in the NFL as far as the one that really pops, because you mentioned it. I mean, the size speaks for itself, but then you see him run in space, not just, again, head-topping guys down the boundary or in the red zone. But last year, people were talking about him potentially moving to tight end, and I I don't like that specifically because I do think he can live on the outside. A lot of comparisons of him right now are Brandon Marshall or Mike Evans because Mike Evans long stride in his hands, but you just look at Johnny and his ability again to separate. And I think that's what ultimately separates him from a guy like Keon to where I want to see more defined, polished, more tempoing in his route running. And, but Johnny Wilson has that to where he can win at all three levels. And what makes them so special as a duo over 12 foot of man, almost 13 feet of man combined is they're not facing grown men in the NFL. These guys are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids coming out of high school and lining up against Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. And then you got Jaheim Bell. Oh, and a guy that can actually deliver it over the top. Oh, and then I can hand it off to Trey Benson. Good luck. Uh, uh, Ryan, about mentioning Trey Benson, my last question for you is actually on Florida State's offensive line, right? So a lot of, has been made about Alex Atkins and the the growth of, and uh, improvement among Florida State's offensive line. I would not put them among, you know, the top 10 offensive lines in the country or anything like that, obviously. But, uh, you know, when you look at Florida State's offensive line, uh, what do you think about their improvement, especially as, as it relates to their scheme? I know they're, they're a lot of counter heavy, but they run a bunch of different things. Um, what, what's jumped out with you at Florida state's running game? Yeah, I think you, I think you mentioned as far as their counter heavy, which tells me that they run, they can run some zone inside zone, outside zone, which shows me that their offensive linemen are athletic enough to do so. But I mentioned at the top, as far as the right side of this offensive line is going to be extremely important as far as the potential ceiling of this offense, because I don't care who you are. I don't care if it's Jordan Travis, or we're talking about the all-time great college quarterback seasons in history. My quarterback, I need him to be upright looking at the secondary, not in his back looking upright towards the sky. Don't care if you're Patrick Mahomes. We saw him in the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay. Guy's yeah. got to be standing upright to reach that performance ceiling. So for me, when I look along this Florida State offensive line, I think they got a good group, not crazy good. They're not like a Boston yeah. College that over the years with the Zion Johnson, and they got Christian Mahogany there as well. Not going to have those types of ball players along the front five, but guys that can, look, protect for two, two and a half seconds max, create some gaps in the run game vertically displace some guys if you have to on those short yardage situations. And then again, just if you have to keep your tight ends in at times, the other kid from Stover came over tight end two in this offense to allow Jaheim flex out in space, get some extra help, chip some guys, not going to be an elite unit, but if they can be good enough and limit the pressure and limit the body contact on Jordan Travis, I think they'll be just fine this year, both in all facets, right? The run and the pass. He's Ryan Fowler. You can catch his information, NFL draft, college football analyst for the draft network. Uh, Ryan, man, we really appreciate the information. Lots of great stuff. If you want his smart football, you can find him on Twitter. It's at underscore Ryan Fowler underscore. So underscores on each end there. Uh, And Fowler is F-O-W-L-E-R. Ryan, man, we appreciate the time. Lots of great info and keep up the good work, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. You guys do great work. Keep it up. We'll talk soon. 
Uh, some really great stuff there from Ryan, kind of covering the whole team uh, overall. And John, I'll go to you first. Um, I, I know I did. I filled out the round table that I don't know if it's posted yet or is posting soon on Tomahawk Nation. But the one one of the answers I thought that jumped out to me is um, it's pretty clear. I think the toughest game on the schedule is LSU at this point. And um, I, I liked how quickly he kind of brushed aside Clemson. I, I feel like the more leading into this season, the more confident I am that this team maybe should be a favorite in the ACC. Yeah. Uh, I really just threw threw a tough one right on you, huh? <laughs> yeah, because it's hard for me to escape that place where Clemson kind of like rules the conference until we see otherwise. And and we kind of touched on it a little bit where, I, you know, I, I think Clemson has taken a step back. They're not the perennial title contender that they were when Trevor Lawrence was was under center. But we don't exactly know how good Cade Lubnick is going to be. I know their offense has just not been the same. They had issues um, uh, both, I think, design-wise, but also at receiver, quarterback play, that kind of stuff. And then again, I think some of that quarterback plays led into why they moved on from from DJ uh, and and to Cade, uh, but we still haven't really seen him. It's not been this this year will be the first time it's really his offense. Uh, it's solely his offense. So I'm I'm interested to see if Clemson can get their offense back on the right track. Their defense was national title caliber worthy. I mean, they had the best defense in college football for probably the last two years, or very close to it. Can they sustain that? I I don't know, right? And you would think with Brent Venables leaving for Oklahoma, that would have to, you know, come down a little bit. So I do think Clemson is much more vulnerable. It's hard for me to say, though, that Florida State is the favorite. I do think LSU is the most challenging game uh, of the two, but I think that you're also going to Clemson. So, yeah, because I think Clemson is where Florida State has to go through Clemson to achieve their goals, right? The LSU game doesn't really matter. You could lose right. that, still blow through Clemson, win the ACC, and go to the college football playoff. So that's why I went Clemson. Although I do think LSU is the better team of the two. So, what what else? Uh, I guess in that conversation, which stood out to you? Um, I, I liked his breakdown of Travis's strengths and some of the things he has to work on. I know in 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 Ryan's article on the Draft Network, he he had mentioned Travis's size. You know, he's listed by Florida State as 6'1", 200. That's small. It's on the small end for the NFL, but it's not the smallest we've ever heard of. You know, Russell Wilson wasn't much bigger than that, if anything. It's bigger um, than Bryce Young. Right. Probably about the same size as Drew Brees and, and things like that. It just it depends on your game, right? I think the issue with Travis when you project him the next level, uh, and Ryan touched on this a little bit, is you know, you know, Travis's escapability is fantastic, right? Uh, but that hurts you a little bit in the end. I mean, it, it helps you can pick up first downs and all that other kind of stuff. It, it's the punishment, right? And that and that racks up. And Cam Newton is maybe the best, most physical kind of quarterback prospect we've ever seen. And even, you know, to the point where NFL teams like the Panthers used him running quarterback, like they ran power with Cam Newton as a running back. Right. And doing that with the quarterback gives you extra numbers in the, in the run game, which is why they're successful doing that. But those hits add up. Right. Even if they're I'm not saying they're going to run the veer like Lamar Jackson with with Jordan Travis. Uh, but, you know, hits add up and, and he does have a smaller frame. You kind of wonder about that long term. Yeah. And I, I think the thing with that, um, you know, at least from the NFL level, the trends we've been seeing, it's 
you know, it's, it's the height is definitely part of the equation, but it's more that frame, that weight, how you carry it. Right. I, I, you know, you look at some of the smaller guys who have come in and been really successful, like Kyler Murray, even though he's hurt now, you know, he's not, he's a short guy, but he's not a, a skinny guy. He's not, he's not, you know, thin frames. So I, I think the thing with Jordan that it's just going to be hard to get over is, you know, that that frame is a little limited. I, I think he's tall enough to play the position, and with his escapability, you can certainly maneuver well. But but it's exactly what you're talking about, you know, John. It's like it's that thing where, yeah, you can do all these fun things with him. You could try these different things out. But we've seen how the hits have beat up other quarterbacks who are a lot bigger, who are a lot stronger, who have taken some of those bigger hits. Right, and I think that's an excellent point. And to kind of build off. Well, that is, we're not saying that Travis is not a, like one of the best college quarterbacks in the country. He is. I think the point, though, when you're projecting him and you're talking to someone from from the draft network is to be a quarterback in the NFL, to be a successful quarterback in the, in the NFL, I should say, you kind of have to have everything right. You have to have all the tools. You have to have the arm, the pocket presence, the football IQ. Uh, you have to be able to process quickly, all those kinds of things. Right. And he he touched on a little bit with Travis, you know, his mechanics of being able to drive the football to the outside. Because, you know, the, the hash marks are so much wider in college than they are in the NFL. So in the NFL, because the hash marks are much, much more narrow, you have to have the arm strength to drive the football to the far side of the field outside the numbers. Uh, and that's why you see a lot of college quarterbacks who don't test. You know, if you're on that far hash, right, you're very close to what we call the boundary. The field side is much wider than it is in the NFL. So uh, there's a lot more space. You know, receivers are, are usually much more open. Uh, but a lot of college offenses don't ask their QBs to drive the ball all the way to the far field side outside the numbers. Uh, and, and those QBs that do kind of stand out, right? Trevor Lawrence was, I mean, he did that as a true freshman in his first game, which is, I mean, when you see that, Jameis Winston did the same thing. Um, but but again, some things that work in Travis's favor is not just by the size element we talked about, but you take a guy like Joe Burrow, right? Uh, you know, if if Travis has taken the next step, like, like we kind of hope he did, even after his monstrous leap last year, you know, Burrow is a guy who has, for the NFL level, I mean, maybe barely average arm strength, right? But he wins at a high level in the NFL because of his anticipation, because he processes so quickly. He makes a decision incredibly fast, and he it's usually the right decision so that his arm strength doesn't matter as much, right? And I think that's kind of what Ryan was talking about in projecting Travis to the next level. I thought one thing that really jumped out to me was we've talked a lot about the the – uh, and I made I made a joke about you and you, your your uh, garnet and gold hat, and I guess I'll call yeah. them the garnet and gold sunglasses. But the the idea that this team, on the surface, doesn't have a ton of flaws. You know, we've talked a lot about the receiver issue. You've got Johnny Wilson, and, and obviously, look, health's always going to be a thing. I think that's the thing I put the most in that round table was health. But assuming health between Coleman and and um, Johnny Wilson, you've got two receivers, and I and I feel pretty confident in that. We saw others flash in the spring game and last year as well. Um, you've got a great running back, but I thought the point about you need to be careful with, especially that right side of the offensive line. Just you know, you can be Patrick Mahomes, you can be the Chiefs, and run into those kind of issues if you can't block. Um, and I know we've all kind of. The the run game allows the offensive line some abilities to be great, but when you run into teams like an LSU, a Clemson, and, and potentially whoever you face, if you if this team's goals are a playoff, an ACC title, if you, maybe you see Clemson again, those teams are again going to be the ones who can cause the problems. Like you said, it's not going to be Wake, it's not going to be elsewhere. Um, but man, I, I the the one line I think that comes back is 
at the end of the day, game is scoring points, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and I have a hard time imagining many teams are going to be outscoring this group. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that's just the way college football has gone. You know, I, I, it's the last five years, this evolution of offense, this emphasis on not just having a pretty good offense or a great offense, having the best or a top two to three offense. I mean, you see it in, in, in Florida state and, and exactly what Norvell is trying to build where, you know, this off season, all the talk was about adding this piece on defense or recently, you know, it's adding a safety or, you know, maybe another nickel or, you know, some other sort of piece. And they go out and get Keon Coleman, which I, I think many fans might look at that as a luxury. And I, I would disagree. I think it's, you know, with this emphasis on offense in college football, like you said, you know, got to score more points than your opponent. Um, they've built this offense where, you know, they can truly dominate on, on so different, so many different levels. And then, you know, with the offensive line, it's really just going to be, you know, how much can we hold this up? How long can we hold this up? And, you know, can we keep this upright long enough to, to help out the other guys who we know are the top of the top of the top. So, you know, I, I think, the way they've built this team, it's just so obvious that, you know, they don't just want to win on offense. They want to dominate you and beat you into the dirt and, and, and make you quit on the defensive side of the ball. And, and I think, you know, it's certainly within the range of possibilities, but, you know, like, like we all mentioned, like Ryan mentioned, it's, it's about that right side of that offensive line, making sure that they can stay upright and, and that they can just really execute what Mike Norvell is trying to to, to accomplish with them, you know, cause you can have Jordan run around in the backfield. You know, he can certainly do some magical things. We, we saw the, the place he had against UF this past year where, you know, he, he looked like Houdini, but you don't want him doing that. And exactly like you guys mentioned with the chiefs, they just traded Tyreek Hill a year ago because they were like, guess what? We want a great offensive line, not a great wide receiver. So, you know, obviously the college game is a little different, but I think it's, you know, for, for Florida state, it's about finding that balance of, you know, is this offensive line good enough and and how long can they sustain that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a fantastic point. I, I agree that everything you said is really well said. I think I want to add to it too. Is like, you know, I think one thing they were so good at last year was the big play, right? They were so explosive on offense, but they, they didn't give up the big plays on defense. And I, I keep thinking, Brian, back to your question, I, I still wonder in the back of my head sometimes if, if what we may see this season is something like what the Marcus Mariota Oregon teams were. Their offense was one of the best of the country, super, super explosive. But their defense, they weren't great, but they sold out, right? They sold out knowing, well, either we get a, we either we get a turnover, right? Or they, we just give up a quick score and gives it right back to our offense. It's kind of like a glass cannon type of team. And they ended up being really, really good, but they didn't win a national title. And but the thing why I don't think we're going to see that, I, at least I don't think so, is is something that, you know, we talked about in the Tomic Nation slap group, you know, going back to 2020 and kind of like tracing the improvement of, of the defense overall uh, in 2020, the, the defense gave up 35.6 times. They went one in five of, in those games. Uh, the next season, 2021, they gave up 35 points just twice. They did lose both games. And then in 2022, last season, they only gave up 35 points once. And FSU still won that game. They were one and oh. So uh again, I would expect, I don't ex- really expect a whole lot of regression in that area. And that's why I think uh Norvell wants that kind of philosophy, right? He wants his offense to be explosive um and, and have his defense limit the big plays. I think that is a winning strategy. So if FSU 
if FSU's offense averages 35 points a game, we're probably looking at worse FSU's record is 11 one, right? Right at worst. Right. Um, but I think the thing that I'm most concerned about the offense is they, they were instantly, we knew they were better in the LSU game, right. From right off the bat than they were this, the year before. Uh, but it wasn't until a little, a few weeks in the season that the offense really became just what it, what it really became. Right. Um, but even in some of those games and in the games that FSU dropped last season, I think what really hurt them is, you know, the defense wasn't great, but they weren't bad, right? They were pretty solid. I think it was the offense kind of just, they would just die for a whole quarter. They just disappear. And I think a lot of the losses could be put on the offense. So what I want to see this year, and I, going, going back to the things that Ryan had said is with all of this talent, right? And how much they flipped the roster on offense with Jordan Travis, all these things. I want to see a very high floor to this offense, right? Yeah, you may not score 50 points every game, right? That's kind of insane. But I I don't want to see the offense disappear for a quarter at a time. I want them to have a very high floor. So that's what I'm looking for. Move the ball, possess the clock, that sort of thing. That's exactly what I was going to say, too, is, you know, John, I I think you're like, I think we're like two sides of the same coin right now. I'm right right with you because, you know, they were so elite with those explosive plays. But you mentioned it, that the offense just stalled. I mean, it just straight up stalled so many times that, well, not so many times, but in those three games in particular that they lost, you know, where did they lose the games? It's because the offense lose, lost their momentum. The defense wasn't able to, to carry it over, even though they played good enough for the team to win. So, and, you know, you can live on those explosive plays. You can do a lot of great things with that. You can have some incredible games. You can win national championships with those explosive plays. But I, I think, where they need to, you know, you're talking about them hitting that certain floor, having that consistency. Uh, to me, that's that all goes down to red zone, third down, fourth down conversions. That's where this team really struggled. And, and when you saw them lose those games, stall out in those moments, it's because they couldn't convert the third downs. It's because they had, you mentioned a quarter and a half where they, they just couldn't convert the plays that they needed to convert in, in you know, got to have it situations, those money downs, right? You know, we, we see them on the sideline all the time. And, and I know this isn't on video, but um, on Zoom right now, I'm doing the, the same thing that that the coaches do with the, the money downs. You know, it's they got to nail that this year. And I think if they nail that this year, you know, Ryan was talking about, you know, the offense being in the stratosphere. That's difference between 2022 and 2023 FSU for me. It's not you know, oh my God, they're going to get so many more explosive plays because they're already the most explosive team in the country. It's about filling in those gotta have it opportunities where we saw them lose games last year. Right. That, that's the difference between beating Clemson and not beating Clemson. Absolutely. What a difference a year makes. John, you and I sat here a year ago talking about if it's not six and six, Norvell's gone. I think seven <laughs> and five is probably a good number. They get to 10 and now we're sitting here a year later and we're like, Playoff. I mean, if you're going to beat Georgia, if you're going to beat Clemson to take the championship, the conference away, uh, what a difference a year makes. But, you know, it's 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 not just a Florida State thing. You bring on a national analyst, a guy from D.C., no ties to Florida State, and he sits there and tells you the ceiling is truly sky high. So, again, thank you so much to Ryan Fowler for jumping on. If you want to catch his information, it's at the Draft Network. You can also find him on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler underscore R-Y-A-N-F-O-W-L-E-R. Again, underscore Ryan Fowler, underscore. Uh, Thanks so much to Ryan for joining us. For Brian, the new guy, Ben. What's up, Ben? And John, that's a wrap. 